Live from historic downtown Carlisle, Pennsylvania, home of founding father James Wilson, 19th century hymn writer George Duffield, 19th century gospel minister George Norcross, and sports legend Jim Thorpe. It's Iron Sharpens Iron. This is a radio platform in which pastors, Christian scholars, and theologians address the burning issues facing the church and the world today. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 17 tells us iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Matthew Henry said that in this passage, we are cautioned to take heed with whom we converse and directed to have in view in conversation to make one another wiser and better. It is our hope that this goal will be accomplished over the next two hours, and we hope to hear from you, the listener, with your own questions. And now, here's your host, Chris Arnson. Good afternoon, Cumberland County, Pennsylvania, Lake City, Florida, and the rest of humanity living on the planet Earth who are listening via live streaming at Iron Sharpens Iron radio.com this is chris arnson your host of iron sharpens iron radio wishing you all a happy monday on this fifth day of february 2024 i initially want to just give another big heartfelt thanks word of thanks to my iron sharpens iron radio listeners for praying for my brother andy who was taken from his nursing home several days ago to the hospital because he had dangerously life-threatening low levels of oxygen that had a lot to do with his aspirating food and liquid, which is when uh, food and liquid uh, gets into your lungs and uh, most often and very often uh, leads to pneumonia. Uh, and they, uh, they prevented my brother from eating and drinking the entire day yesterday. I visited him in the hospital, urged the doctors and the nurses to reconsider their strict protocol because my brother felt like he was being tortured. Uh, They gave in. They gave him food and drink, although it was the pureed food and thickened liquid diet that he hates, but it was still nourishment. And uh, today, after visiting him, he is a lot better. There was no negative result from feeding him. And he is being, God willing, released and returned to the nursing home tomorrow. So thank you so much. Keep praying for my brother, especially in regard to salvation, but also for his physical well-being. Well, we have a double header today. We have two pastors who are theologically reformed, and they are also both speaking at the Open Air Theology Conference coming up later this month in Tullahoma, Tennessee, on the theme, Why Calvinism? And for the first hour, we have uh, to do that very thing, to promote that conference. Uh, We have Pastor Keith Foskey, a dear friend of mine, who is one of the pastors at Sovereign Grace Family Church in Jacksonville, Florida. And his topic today will be the Calvinism of Martin Luther, a subject that has always fascinated me. In the second hour, we're going to be joined by uh, Michael Schultz, pastor of Antioch Baptist Church of Lewisburg, Kentucky, and associate professor of church history at Forge Theological Seminary. And he's going to be addressing Calvinism and the love of God. Gee, is there such a thing? Is that an oxymoron? That's what I've always heard. But anyway, 
first of all, it's my honor and privilege to welcome you back to Iron Trip and Zion Radio, my dear friend, Pastor Keith Foskey. Well, Chris, thanks for having me on again. I'm looking forward to our conversation today and uh, looking forward to the conference. Uh, so thanks so much for having us. Well, first of all, explain uh, briefly, as you can, uh, the, <coughs> the fine congregation where you pastor Sovereign Grace Family Church of Jacksonville, Florida. Yes, sir. I am, uh, as you said, I'm one of the three elders here at Sovereign Grace Family Church, and I serve as the preaching pastor. And uh, I have been the pastor here since 2006. Uh, I'm in my 18th year serving this congregation. And uh, we are a Reformed Baptist church. We hold to the first London Confession, which is the 1646 edition of that confession. And uh, so that that sometimes brings uh, an eyebrow or two when people hear that we're not holding to the 1689 Confession. So if anybody's interested in knowing why, they can go to our website at sgfcjacks.org and they can see an article that I've written on the subject of the Confession and why we hold to the First London Confession. And uh, that's, uh, as I said, I serve with two other elders, uh, uh, Pastor Andy Montoro, who you're friends with, Chris, who you introduced us and we became good friends and he now serves here, and uh, Pastor Michael Collier. So that's our church here in uh, in the Oceanway area of Jacksonville. Yes. And in fact, uh, I know that I've said this before on the show when I've had you on, but Pastor Andy was, before I was married to my wife, my late wife, Julie, who is now in heaven for over a decade now, uh, Pastor Andy was one of my late wife's pastors, uh, First Baptist Church of Lindenhurst, Long Island, New York, before he moved to Florida. Uh, but please extend to him my warm and loving greetings in Christ. If anybody wants more details on Sovereign Grace Family Church of Jacksonville, Florida, you can go to S. G F C Jax J A X dot org S G F C J A X dot org and God willing we will be repeating that later on. Now, if you could briefly tell us about uh, the uh, the conference, the Open Air Theology Conference, where you are speaking in Tullahoma, Tennessee. Yes, sir. Uh, last year, uh, I had the opportunity to attend the Open Air Theology Conference there, uh, and that's where I met Dr. Michael Schultz, who will be on with us or with you in just a little while. Um, and the conference last year was from shadows to substance, and I was there not as a speaker, but what, but as a participant, and I was uh, doing interviews while I was there. And uh, got a chance to meet Jeffrey Rice, who is the one who is promoting this, and Haps Addison, who is promoting this. They they're the ones there in Tullahoma with the with the church there. It's a Reformed Baptist church, and they told me last year they said we are planning to do another conference in February 2024, and it was going to be on the subject of Calvinism. Well. Uh, I have a show. My show is called Your Calvinist Podcast, uh, and so they knew I was a Calvinist just by the vir- virtue of the name of the show, and so they said, hey, we're doing this Calvinist podcast. We would like for you to come and speak, and that's when we began to talk about what it was I would be speaking on, and I actually was the one who said I would love to talk about the Calvinism of Luther, 
And Jeff kind of turned and looked at me a little bit and he said, I like that. I like that idea. <laughs> so, so that was how I got involved. And uh, Jeff is really, he's a wonderful man. He has a heart for the Lord. He has yes. a heart to see this ministry uh, happening through this conference. And he has got so many guys coming this year that are just guys I can't believe that I'll be sharing the the chancel with. Um, not only James White, who obviously is a mutual friend of ours, but also Sam Waldron and Tom Buck and um, uh, Claude Ramsey, uh, one of my favorite preachers. Cla- Claude Ramsey, one of the most beautiful of all Calvinists. Claude Ramsey, he's a yes. beautiful man, and and um, <clears throat> Matt Slick, who is a tremendous intellect, wonderful man. And I got to meet him last week. I was so excited because I've been a, a great admirer of his for many years. So it's going to be awesome. And, and the guy that the just I, I only listed a few of the names. The guys who are going to be there are, are going to be great. Yeah, that, that would include also Brandon Scalf, Kevin Hay uh, and uh, Haps Addison and Jamie Terry. Unless one of those men, I, I think there was one brother who had to leave the roster due to conflict schedule, uh, schedule conflict. But I don't know if any of them are uh, among those men or that man. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, if anybody wants more details on this, this event, which is being held right around the corner, February 21st, 22nd, 23rd, and 24th will be a debate featuring Dr. James R. White of Alpha and Omega Ministries with Jason Breda or Breda, I can't remember how to pronounce that, on the Reformed Doctrine of the Atonement or should I say, the Reformed doctrine of the atonement is biblical and important. And uh, again, I find that an interesting title, because even those who hate Calvinism think it's an important doctrine, but important in that it should be avoided at all costs. (laughs) And um, of course, we believe it is important, because we believe it makes complete sense when you are logically consistent. Uh, about your understanding of what actually occurred on Golgotha when uh, Christ gave up the ghost and uh, completely, 100% and perfectly appeased the wrath of God and finalized the redemption of his children. So uh, if you want more details on that uh, conference, go to openairtheology.com, openairtheology.com. Now, Obviously, if you know as many conservative Lutherans as I do, uh, most of whom are from the Missouri Synod, but there are some from other synods as well, uh, they are likely, most of them, going to be upset by the very notion of your theme, the Calvinism of Luther. And uh, first of all, I know that you recognize historically that although there was an overlap in their uh, ministries on earth in the 16th century. Uh, Luther, chronologically, uh, was uh, the first of the Reformers, when you consider Luther and Calvin, obviously the Reformers before Luther, uh, proto-Reformers and so on. But uh, you're not saying that somehow Calvin uh, was a, uh, even though we agree with him more clearly, and fully, you're not saying that Calvin was the preeminent reformer above Luther or 
that Luther was somehow uh, condescending himself to embrace Calvin's teachings that he later would hear. Uh, you're just saying that what Luther originally believed about important things, especially involving the nature of man before regeneration and the will of man, he was saying things that Calvin would later agree with. Am I on the right in the right ballpark there? Yeah, and let me kind of unpack, if you don't mind, Go sort ahead. of the where, where where the title came from. Obviously, you're right. Luther, we would consider to be a first-generation reformer, and Calvin in some ways is a second-generation reformer. Calvin was just a boy when Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the, to the door of the Church of Wittenberg. So we, we understand that it's anachronistic to say the, the Calvinism of Luther because there was no such thing as Calvinism when Luther right. was— you know, beginning. So, so I, that's kind of like, I, you've heard the term clip, clickbait <laughs> online, <laughs> you know, you, 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 know, you name a, you name a video or a, or a show, uh, something that's intended to raise the eyebrow, something that's intended to cause people to go, what does he mean by that? And that was sort of why, when I said to Jeff Rice, I said, Hey, the Calvinism Luther. And when he looked at me, he knew what I'm, he knew what I was saying. And he smiled. I like that. And that's why, because it's it's intended to be somewhat uh, prodding. And 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 I my goal is when I give this message is that every Lutheran who hears it would have to agree that what I'm saying is correct, even even if they may not agree with some of the conclusions that I reach. I hope that I am factually accurate when I when I present Luther's uh, what Luther wrote, and and also to say this, um, it, and I had a, I recently had a, a conversation with uh, with a Lutheran pastor from the UK, and he said, you know, Luther wrote, you know, a new almost a new book every few weeks, and and Luther's amount of writing was so ridiculously uh, prolific. That it's 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 hard sometimes to say what Luther's position was on on anything because he was he he would he would evolve and yes. and, and his ideas would would grow and change just like anyone you know but someone who's thinking as fast as he was and is publishing as as voluminously as he was um, so really I'm going to be my argument is going to be essentially that Luther and Calvin shared a doctrine of anthropology, and that was the doctrine of, of man, which gave rise to both of their views. And I do think there's a distinction in Lutheran uh, theology of predestination and Calvinistic theology of predestination, but both of their um, theologies of election and predestination was birthed out of an anthropology that was itself a product of their uh, relying heavily on the teachings of Augustine. And so uh, that is, that's really the, the argument. I want to look at the Council of Orange, where the argument of semi-Pelagianism came in. Uh, I want to look at uh, Augustine himself. And so that's where I'm coming from. Yes, and uh, we who are Calvinists, and we have dialogue with our Lutheran friends, uh, and, and I have many uh, Lutheran friends that I hold in very high esteem. I've interviewed many Lutherans on the show. In fact, one of them, Evan McClanahan, pastor of the First Lutheran Church of Houston, Texas, regularly features Dr. James R. White at his church to preach and also to and be involved in debates. And I have a feeling he may be one of the 
minority of Lutherans who may be applauding things we're saying today. Uh, but uh, when we dialogue with our Lutheran friends, from what we rem- remember about what Luther taught and wrote, especially in regard to his debate with Erasmus on the bondage of the will, we are mystified about the conclusions that uh, many, if not most, Lutherans come to today. And I know that they would be horrified to ever be compared to Arminians, but there seems to be much more similarity between modern Lutheranism and Arminianism than between modern Lutheranism and Calvinism in the 21st century, anyway. Am I right? Yeah, uh, well, I, I I agree with what with where you're going. I I think that I think it goes both ways in that we would we look at Luther and we say, you know, how can you not see the Calvinism of Luther? And I, and you, you understand what I mean by that. Yeah, how can yeah. you not see Luther's views based upon the bondage of the will? But then the um, the Lutheran pastors, you know, good godly men, you know, like Dr. Jordan Cooper and others um, would 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 look from the other direction and say, yes, but that does not that does not comport with the Book of Concord and the other right. the other doc, documents that we that we hold to. And, and they will be the first to tell you they don't hold to Luther's writings. They hold to the Book of Concord and those things which are their documents that, that, that they're holding to that are not um, that are not saying some of the things as dogmatically or as maybe as uh, as as monergistically as Luther's uh, uh, bondage of the will. The bondage of the will seems to be the big issue and 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 they'll say well you you don't really like Luther I've heard Luther I've heard Lutheran pastors say, Reformers don't like Luther. They like the bondage of the will, and uh, they don't like anything else he wrote. <laughs> and I think that's kind of funny because, um, you know, there are a lot of things that Luther wrote and things that he said that w- we probably wouldn't agree with. Um, and and so there there may be a little bit of truth to that. We like the bondage of the will because it agrees with us, you know. And there's a little bit of confirmation bias there, but they would say that it doesn't necessarily agree with us because of his other writings. And so th- th- there is some, there, there's debate there as to what Luther's real position was. As I said earlier, it's hard. It's sort of like nailing jello to a wall. It's a little hard to do with Luther sometimes. Yes. Uh, yes. Specifically on wh- wh- where he was coming down. But as far as their view being more in line with, our, with uh, the Arminian view, the Arminian view uh, of a prescience that God sees the action of the will and uh, determines his election based upon foreseen faith would would not that would certainly not comport with Luther's view in the bondage of the will. That's a, that's the exact thing he's opposing in the bondage of the will. Now, now so bef- um, before you elaborate, go ahead. Bef- before you elaborate uh, more about the main points that you wanted to make, wasn't the divide? that Luther and Calvin had personally, along with Zwingli, more in regard to the sacrament of the Eucharist and the implications of it, over and above anything else that is typically highlighted within the theology of Calvinism? Well, certainly the the divide between Luther and Zwingli was the uh, the table, the Marburg Colloquy, where they met and 
they they had 15 points of doctrine to discuss. They agreed on 14, but one that they could not agree on was the doctrine of the table. Luther was convinced that this is my body was a uh, a statement of uh, a literal statement, meaning this is the body of Christ, and and he took a real presence view of the the bread and the cup, uh, which is still believed in Lutheran theology. That, but but that they not hold to a real, but not transubstantiation. No, and there is a distinction to be made. Um, Rome and Rome, Rome incorporates so much into the 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 doctrine of transubstantiation that Lutherans don't incorporate the 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 um but but real presence is not transubstantiation there's a difference in doctrine there right. and that's why and sometimes Lutherans are accused of believing in consubstantiation but they don't like that word yes i've heard <laughs> they, that. i've heard that most most yeah, most of them don't like that phrase, so I try to avoid it. I simply say real presence uh, because I think that's fair to what they believe. Um, and uh, the Calvinistic view of spiritual presence is really based on Calvin's understanding of the of the hypostatic union, because Calvin obviously believed, as we do, that Christ is uh, vera homo vera deus. He is, he is fully God and fully man. And as being fully man and remains fully man, even in his uh, glorified state, uh, he is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. So Calvin would say he is in his humanity. He is not omnipresent. Therefore, he's not in the bread or in the cup. But spiritually, he is omnipresent. So Calvin would say that he could be and is spiritually present in the cup and the bread. And so that's the that's the battle there. That's the distinction is whether he's a, he's physically there or spiritually there. How do we understand the difference? What is real presence? And so the, the, I, I was, at, I asked a group of Lutheran pastors if I would be able to take communion in their church. And they said, no. And I, and I, and I was totally fine with that. I didn't anger me or anything because this is what one of them said. He said, he says, you're not buying what we're selling. <laughs> and I thought uh, he, he said, because we're telling you, go ahead. I, I was uh, invited to participate in the Lord's Supper at a Missouri Synod Lutheran church. I'm not going to say where, because even though the man's retired, he still might get in trouble. <laughs> but I, I yeah. said to him, I do not believe, I do not agree exactly with what Lutherans believe about the Lord's table. Should I participate? And he said, if you would like to, you're welcome. And another a conservative Lutheran said, oh, no, he shouldn't have done that. So I know that there are some disagreements even amongst them. Sure. Yeah. And I, I yeah, I know another man who is a who is a Calvinist, uh, but he's a member of a Lutheran church. He grew up as a Presbyterian, but the church that he's in, he had to uh, he had to join because of where he was located and different things. The only church he could join and kind of a long story. But at the end of the day, he told me he takes communion and his pastor is well aware of his convictions. And I was surprised by that. I was surprised that there was no issues there. But, um, but, but like you said, I guess it depends on who, who who's in charge. <laughs> right. But we yeah. have to go to our first commercial break. And when we come back, obviously, we want to have you focus on the commonalities uh, of uh, authentic uh, Lutheranism and historic Calvinism. And if you have a question, send it immediately because uh, Pastor Keith is only on 
for the first 54 minutes of this broadcast. We have Michael Schultz following him. So if you could uh, send in your questions to chrisarnson at gmail.com and give us your first name at least, city and state and country of residence, that would be great. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Armored Republic exists to equip free men with tools of liberty to defend God-given rights against the twin threats of tyranny and chaos. If you own a rifle to resist tyrants and criminals, then you should own body armor and a med kit for the same reasons. A rifle stops evil, body armor and a med kit keep you in the fight and preserve your life. Armored Republic is a body of free craftsmen united to create tools of liberty. We are honored to be your armorsmith of choice. Civilian ownership of body armor is about increasing decentralized power and by comparison, reducing the advantages of centralized power. The danger of centralized power is often represented by the word king. As Americans, we hate the word king, applied to any mere man. We are armored republic, and in a republic, there is no king but Christ. Arm yourself with tools of liberty at armoredrepublic.com. Iron Sharpens Iron Radio praise God for the generous monthly financial support of Royal Diadem Jewelers educated by and affiliated with the American Gem Society Jewelers of America and the Gemological Institute of America for the perfect custom designed engagement ring or any one of a kind piece of jewelry created exactly according to your imagination and specifications Royal Diadem Jewelers has you covered no matter where you live in the world Royal Diadem will walk you step by step through every stage of the process and even hold a high tech internet virtual visit using state of the art jewelry design technology to serve you they start by listening carefully to determine your needs. They're interested in making what you want, not what they want to sell you. From rough design to digital model, to photorealistic image, to wax prototype model, to the finished product, they're continually listening to your input, likes and dislikes, making any changes necessary along the way. This will ensure that your custom jewellery will turn out exactly as you dreamed and well beyond your expectations. Visit royaldiadem.com. That's royaldiadem.com today. Sterling Vanderwerker, owner of Royal Diadem Jewellers, his wife Bronnie, his business partner and manager Brian Wilson, and the entire family thank you all for listening to Praying For and supporting the work of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. And please, folks, do not forget that RoyalDiadem.com is still offering Iron Sharpens Iron Radio this mind-blowing opportunity. They are giving us 100% of the profits from any sale of jewelry to an Iron Sharpens Iron Radio listener simply by that listener saying, I heard about RoyalDiadem.com on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio when they are purchasing their jewelry or having it custom designed. I'm asking you, please, if you have any intention to buy jewelry for yourself or have something custom designed, a one-of-a-kind piece of jewelry for yourself, or for somebody you love, and Valentine's Day is right around the corner, please go to RoyalDiadem.com today to get the ball rolling on your purchase 
because we have no idea when they're going to pull the plug on this offer where we get 100% of the profits from any sale of jewelry to one of our listeners simply by that listener mentioning Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. So go to royaldiadem.com today and mention Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. We are now back with Keith Foskey. We are talking about the Calvinism of Luther, and our email address is chrisarnson at gmail.com if you have a question. So if you could, Keith, I want you to pick up the ball now and begin to highlight what is most in common between what is known as Calvinism, Reformed Theology, Sovereign Grace uh, Theology, and what was going on in Martin Luther's mind during the Reformation. Well, right away, again, I, I think it boils down to a an anthropology which has its roots in Augustinian thought. And so, if I could, I want to go back actually a step further sure. and simply address the the what, what we mean by Augustinian thought in regard to anthropology. Anthropology, obviously, is the doctrine or the study of man. And um, as many people know, Augustine had a um, a debate with a man named Pelagius, uh-huh. and there's a and there's a lot of there's a lot of arguments right now online. Uh, who are people who are saying that Pelagius didn't really believe the things that are attributed to him. I've had this conversation with Leighton Flowers. Many people know who that is. He's a, a one of the foremost um, men on the internet who oppose Calvinistic teachings, and he and I are he and I are very friendly. We talk to each other, and and uh, we've had this conversation. He doesn't believe that everything attributed to Pelagius was actually believed by Pelagius, but for the sake of simplicity. I, I understanding those arguments are out there. What is believed or what has been taught that Pelagius taught was that man had the ability in and of himself to respond to God's uh, offer of the gospel uh, without the aid or the, without the necessity of any type of prevenient grace mm-hmm. that he had the ability to respond. And, uh, Augustine did not believe that. Augustine believed that man had to be given grace to be enabled to respond. And so that became the Augustinian-Pelagian divide. And that would lead to a later uh, uh, council, the Council of Orange, where they were debating not at that point, Pelagianism, because Pelagianism had already been condemned by the time of the Council of Orange, they were debating semi-Pelagianism, which was the idea that um, that that God and man sort of worked together, that there was a synergism that was happening, and even that was condemned. Uh, and so, by the time you get to Luther and, and Calvin, what you have is you have a pretty robust understanding of the Augustinian doctrine of man, which is that man is, without the grace of God, unable to respond positively to the gospel. And that was something that Luther believed. That was something that Calvin believed. Both of them would take that understanding in slightly different directions. And if you ask a Lutheran pastor, he would say the problem with Calvin was double predestination. And they would say in Lutheranism there, you don't have double predestination. And so that's that's where the divide often comes. But the issue still remains the same because of this understanding of man's inability 
And this is why sometimes I, I love R.C. Sproul's phrase because he said sometimes we don't say total depravity. Sometimes we say radical inability. Man was so affected by the fall. Man, and when I say man, I mean all, man, all mankind was so affected by the fall that he no longer would will to respond positively to God's offer of the gospel apart from a working of God in his heart, apart from a changing of his heart. Uh, and and there's so many passages that, that could be cited in regard to that. Um, you know, the, the, the leopard can't change his spots. The, the Ethiopian can't change his skin. Neither can the, uh, can you do good or accustomed to doing evil? That's one of the passages that's often sought Jesus's words in the, um, in John 6, where he says, no man can come unless it's granted to him by the Father. Those are passages which are often cited. There's none who does good, not even one. Romans chapter 3, um, the person who is in the flesh cannot obey the law of God. Uh, Romans chapter 8, um, doesn't desire to, neither can he desire to. Those are, those are things. So, so that anthropology is what is shared by Luther and Calvin. And so that's where I'm seeing this this connection point. And, and, and yes, both lead to two different denominations and ultimately become two different strands of, of theological thought, but that's the, that's the seed out of which both of those are growing. And before I take a listener question, uh, do you think from your uh, dialogues with Lutherans that they are misunderstanding double predestination? Because many that I've heard explain double predestination are not explaining it accurately. They're equating it with equal ultimacy, and they are explaining it in such a way as if a man had a morally clean slate and God either makes them holy and worthy of heaven or he makes them wicked and sinful and reprobate and unworthy of uh, heaven. Uh, and worthy of hell, and as if God is uh, doing a divine supernatural work in both ends of the spectrum of humanity, whereas Calvinists just believe that God leaves men in their own sin, that men are made from the same lump of clay, uh, but he rescues some of us, his elect, and he leaves others to pay the penalty of their own sin. So do you know if the, if the Lutherans are misunderstanding what double predestination is about? I think they're re, I think they are defining it in the terms of equal ultimacy. So what you just said is correct. I think the way they define double predestination is that God has uh, from eternity determined to save some and damn others. Now, he, here's where the issue comes in. Um, I I personally am one that typically says. I don't like the term double predestination because it leads to the thought of equal ultimacy, which you just properly described. Equal ultimacy is that God does the same act of reprobation that he does in, uh, the, in the act of election. And that's not the case. Uh, neither Calvin nor Luther taught that. Um, uh, both of them would teach that um, the, the passing over of the non-elect is not the same as the active grace that is right. provided to the elect. And, and that's the difference where it, 
and here's what's funny when, when I've talked to, you know, again, Lutheran pastors and trying to, trying to really, I want to represent them properly. I want to hear them. I don't want to misrepresent them. That's one thing, James White, I'm very thankful for him and having learned from him many years, you know, he really tries to understand his opponents and I'm thankful for that. I, I want to, and not that I'm not that Lutherans are my opponents. That sounded weird. But what I mean is when you're discussing something, you want to understand the other side, you want to understand what they're saying. And, and I, in one of my conversations, I remember specifically being told that they were willing to leave some things to a um, to a divine mystery, and that yes, God uh, elects, but we we don't. Uh, th- there seems to be a withholding of saying that in the election of some, He's leaving out the others, and but that's but that's the obvious. Right. That's the obvious reality that if God choose, you know, if there's 10 people and God chooses five, then five are unchosen. Therefore, the result of that is they're going to get their just desserts, which is uh, eternal perdition. So um, but the but the action on God's part, trying to alleviate from him any culpability. And that's a big that's a big issue. And that is 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 God responsible for a man's uh, eternal condition if he goes to hell? Is God the one who should be held accountable for that versus the person himself? And none of us are saying that, but that's, that's the, that, that's the issue is, is in double predestination or equal ultimacy. Uh, you got one, like you said, one neutral man and God can either give him election and grace and make him a, a son of the son of the kingdom, or he can give him reprobation and wickedness and make him a son of hell but he started neutral and that's that's the problem is nobody's neutral we're right. all wicked right uh by the way our our listener is from uh jupiter florida how close is that to you uh, i'm not actually sure i think it's south florida so i'm 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 i am just about on the georgia border so i'm as north florida as you can get so i think that's south pretty south of us okay well amethyst in jupiter florida says to your knowledge did Luther go as far as Calvin when understanding the nature of humans that not only was a gr- work of grace needed for the totally depraved sinner to believe, but also a heart transplant was required and regeneration preceded that person's faith? That is a really good question. And, uh, First of all, I just want to say the name Amethyst is a very nice name. Yes, it is. It's interesting and a very, very pretty name. Uh, and and I, I I cannot speak with authority and say uh, exactly Luther's position on uh, regeneration preceding faith. But based on his arguments in the bondage of the will, it would seem to be that that would be the mm-hmm. natural conclusion. And And here's why. Is, is he believed that faith was the result of the uh, the work that's done in baptism. Obviously, uh, he believed in baptismal regeneration. So he believed that, and that's that's another important issue, is if you believe in baptismal regeneration and you baptize an infant, that infant is therefore regenerated, and faith that flows out of that comes as a result of that regeneration. So but he believed that the, the 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 sacrament and the word together worked into bringing about faith. So, 
Um, I'm, I'm not sure if it would be as cut and dry as simply saying what we believe, which is that faith is preceded by regeneration, but certainly logically based upon uh, that, it would, it would have to be. Okay. Thanks, Amethyst. And we uh, have another question. Uh, and this will probably be the final question from audience members because Pastor Keith has to leave us in about 18 minutes. Maybe we could squeeze another one in, but I'm not sure. But anyway, Philbert in Massapequa Park, Long Island, New York, wants to know, most Lutherans that I'm aware of today believe a genuinely born-again Christian can lose his or her salvation. Did Luther also believe that? Um, I, yeah, I think he did. Uh, and this, this kind of goes back to when I said earlier, even though they had an anthropology that was similar or, or, or the same, that seed, that anthropological seed, um, it produced two somewhat different strains of theology and uh, the doctrine of apostasy. And this, and this is something that we need to step back and, and just address. Everyone in one way or another has a doctrine of apostasy because the Bible has too many passages that talk about people falling away to not address it in some way. I mean, it really is a very rare thing to find someone who just holds to an absolute once saved, always saved without giving any, any credence to the idea that someone could make a profession and fall away. Um, and so the difference is the question of whether or not you believe someone could be regenerated and then lose the grace of justification or lose that 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 benefit of having been regenerated. So again, going back to the Lutheran doctrine of baptismal regeneration, if regeneration occurs and then later the person rejects Christ, that would have to be a rejection of the uh, of of salvation because it came as a result of the initial work of regeneration, which came through baptism. So uh, I, I do believe there, uh, uh, the, the, the modern Lutheran view that, that men can lose their salvation, I, I believe that was held, held by Luther. Uh, again, somebody's, I, I'm willing to be corrected on that, but based upon other things that I've read, and again, Luther is so prolific, so, so much writing is there. Uh, you might can find a, a somewhere where he quoted the opposite. But um, the Calvinistic view, obviously, is that if a man does fall away, uh, man or woman does fall away, then that uh, because we of the belief in, in eternal election and uh, uh, re- regeneration preceding faith, that we would say that whatever faith he possessed or professed was not truly possessed and it was a false faith, uh, much like Simon in the book of Acts, the uh, the magician who uh, sought the to uh, to get the Holy Spirit's power by money, and um, would eventually turn into a, uh, uh, a a false professor. And 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 we would say, as in Matthew seven, it says uh, when Jesus said, "Depart from me, I never knew you." didn't say I knew you for five minutes or I knew you for five years or I knew you for 10 years. He said, I never knew you. And so the Calvinistic understanding is that if a person falls away completely, then they were never truly of the faith. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm sorry, I'm going to squeeze one more question in cause it's so good. Uh, Christiana from Deerfield, Massachusetts says, did Martin Luther, as do all Lutherans today, believe in baptismal regeneration because it seems to defy 
Martin Luther's understanding of sola fide? And I think that's an excellent question uh, because it does seem to be oxymoronic. Uh, now, I know that Luther did not uh, come up with or coin the five solos of the Reformation, but apparently all five of those solos are found in various places in his writings. And certainly sola fide is the, the, the thing that Lutherans, uh, conservative Lutherans, appear to champion more than any other, more than any of the other solos. But anyway, um, it, do you find that odd that he believed in both? Um, this is the, that's an interesting and funny question, and I'm actually glad somebody asked it because that this 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 is a question that I hear Lutherans have to address a lot, and and I think it's a fair question. I do think, however, that their answers uh, in general are satisfactory to them, obviously. (laughs) 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 And I I didn't mean that to sound sarcastic, but even though it kind of came out that way, what I mean is I think that they are making a distinction between um, regeneration and justification. Okay. And so regeneration occurs in the baptismal fount uh, occurs, and then the the justification is a work of of grace that is dependent upon faith, and so there is a distinction that they're making, and they're still saying justification is by faith alone. Regeneration causes faith, not necessarily immediately, but there is a time. You know, there can be a time between when the person's regenerated and when the person experienced faith. But, but that's, I think where the distinction lies is I think they're, and I'm trying to be fair to them. And it, please, if you're a Lutheran pastor and, I, and your head's exploding right now, know that I'm not trying to misrepresent you if I am, but I do think that they, they, because of the distinction between regeneration and, um, and justification, uh, that that's where the distinction would be made. They could still say we hold the sola fide because we're still saying you're justified by faith alone, not by what happened in the baptismal waters. Even though the baptismal waters made it possible for you to exercise faith, even though the baptismal waters did this work in you, uh, it was a means of grace. That's the term, or, or you know, it, there's grace in baptism. That is still. Uh, it's still dependent upon faith alone. And so that's, I think that's how they would uh, argue for that uh, distinction. Well, I want you, and that's a big difference. Go go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you could continue. I just wanted to say, I want you to hold the floor now because you only got about six minutes. Uh, So, but, but anyway, continue your thought there. I was just going to say the distinction in baptismal understanding among Presbyterians, Lutherans, and Baptists is, is interesting because Lutherans will believe that that baptism uh, produces regeneration. Presbyterians typically don't believe that, even though I'm finding some who do, which is really right. odd. Yes. Um, but there are some that do. But generally, Presbyterians would say that baptism is the sign of entrance into the covenant community. Therefore, when we baptize a child, it's because we believe he's part of the covenant community. And Baptists believe that baptism is also uh, uh, a sign. It's a, it's a sign given to us, but that it is to accompany faith. It's not to come before someone believes. And that's what we're called credo-baptists, which means that I believe, uh, and, and therefore I'm baptized. So the Lutheran view of baptism is different than the, the the Presbyterian view, in that they do believe 
regeneration occurs where um, the the Presbyterian typically does not, even though they're both baptizing infants. I just wanted to, I just want to make that point. And I want you to hone in now on your main points that you'd like to make to further entice our listeners to attend the conference and to hear your entire lecture on the Calvinism of Luther. Well, I've, I've, I've given you sort of a taste of what I'm going to talk about. I'm, I'm going to start with um, a, a brief overview of, of Luther's life and, and theology, and then I'm going to compare that with Calvin, and then I'm going to go back to uh, Augustine. Uh, but one of the things I also want to address, and and I they've only you know we only have an hour to preach, so I'm gonna it'll be limited. But one of the one of the arguments that's being made uh, right now is that Augustine himself was influenced by Manichaean Gnosticism, and therefore, if it is true that Augustine was a Gnostic, then therefore Luther's view of, of, of man is Gnostic and, 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 and Calvin's view is Gnostic. So one of the things I hope to do in my message is to show that the argument that Augustine's view was a Gnostic view of man, I hope to show that that is not uh, the case. But so, so maybe that'll be a little enticing for people who may be interested, you might say, well, that seems like a departure from the Lutheran thing, but it's really not. Because if it, my point is to simply say this, I believe Luther and Calvin had the same view on the nature of man because of their relationship to Augustine's teaching. I believe Augustine, of course, got it from Scripture. I believe they got it from Scripture. But if if there is the introduction of Manichaean Gnosticism in the fourth century in the life of Augustine, and that's the reason why he believed these things, then that is, according to those who oppose Reformed theology, that's where the major problem is. So I'm hoping to address that in the message and show that I don't think that that's actually the case. Even though I do I do understand Augustine was a Gnostic prior to becoming a Christian, I don't believe that that necessarily means that that, that, that influenced his doctrine of man. Now, in the three minutes that we have left, uh, please explain <laughs> your, uh, your understanding of Melanchthon and how you believe, as do many other Calvinists, that Melanchthon uh, unfortunately, steered the ship in a different direction than Luther after Luther's home going to heaven, and that is why we have a a Lutheranism today that is far more contrary to the doctrines of sovereign grace and Calvinism. Well, I, again, in, in every attempt I can, I want to be fair. And if you were to ask a Lutheran pastor that question, he would say uh, Melanchthon did not did not change Luther's views; he clarified them. <laughs> and but so I but I do know a, a number is, of conservative Lutherans who despise Melanchthon. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's good. Yeah. So so the idea, though, among some, is that in the in, he was clarifying some of these more difficult things, Luther's view of the will and things like that. And that's what ended up in the official teaching. Uh, and, and again, book of Concord, things like that. So that's, that's the, um, that's why I say some, some would say uh, Melanchthon was a hero. Some would say he was a villain and, and not, not villain, but as far as how he had, how he handled um, being the, being the successor there. And, and I think it's, um, I think there are, it's 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 sort of difficult to to know for sure how much there how much adjusting was done um but obviously like you said today 
the the differences are are pretty stark between a Calvinistic and a Lutheran uh, or a Presbyterian and a Lutheran church. You're going to see several uh, important distinctions. Well, Pastor Keith, as always, uh, it has been a joy having you on the program. I much prefer when you're on for two hours, but uh, perhaps the next time your schedule will be accommodating to that. And uh, once again, I want to remind our listeners about uh, your church website for Sovereign Grace Family Church in Jacksonville, Florida. That is S-G-F-C-J-A-X, that's J-A-X, dot org. S-G-F-C-J-A-X.org. And just to let you know, I don't know if it's only my computer, but it's not opening up your website for some reason. But... Uh, Thank you so much, brother. You you did a great job, as you always do, and I look forward to your return to the show. Well, I appreciate you, Chris. Thank you so much, and thank you to the audience, and uh, may God bless you. All righty, and please don't go away, folks. We're going to our midway break right now, and our second guest uh, for the second hour of the show is Michael Schultz, uh, and Michael is another one of the speakers at the Open Air Theology Conference this month where uh, Keith Foskey, who you just heard, and other speakers are on the roster. And uh, Michael is uh, the pastor of Antioch Baptist Church in Lewisburg, Kentucky, and on the faculty of Forge Theological Seminary. So please don't go away. We're going to be right back with Michael Schultz and his discussion of Calvinism and the love of God when we return. Pastor Keith Allen of Lindbrook Baptist Church, a Christ-centered, gospel-driven church looking to spread the gospel in the southwest portion of Long Island, New York, and play our role in fulfilling the Great Commission, supporting and sending for the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. We're delighted to be a part of Chris Arnzen's Iron Sharpens Iron Radio advertising family. At Lindbrook Baptist Church, we believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the inspired word of God inerrant in the original writings, complete as the revelation of God's will for salvation, and the supreme and final authority in all matters to which they speak. We believe in salvation by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ. This salvation is based upon the sovereign grace of God, was purchased by Christ on the cross, and is received through faith alone, apart from any human merit, works, or ritual. Salvation in Christ also results in righteous living, good works, and appropriate respect and concern for all who bear God's image. If you live near Lynbrook, Long Island, or if you're just passing through on the Lord's Day, we'd love to have you come and join us in worship. For details, visit lynbrookbaptist.org. That's L-Y-N-Brookbaptist.org. This is Pastor Keith Allen of Lindbrook Baptist Church reminding you that by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. May the Lord bless you in the knowledge of himself. Hi. 
I'm Brian McLaughlin, president of the SecureCom Group and an enthusiastic supporter of Chris Arnson's Iron Sharpens Iron radio program. The SecureCom Group provides the highest level of security, closed-circuit television, access control, and communication systems for Manhattan's top residential buildings, as well as churches, commercial properties, municipalities, and more. We custom install exactly what you need to protect yourself, including digital recording, off-site viewing, and connectivity from most smart devices. From simple code-activated systems to the latest technology using facial recognition, the SecureCom Group has it. We also provide the latest in intercom and IP telephone systems. In addition, we provide superior networking platforms. We'll create, maintain, and secure your local network. Whether it's a Wi-Fi or hardwire network, we'll implement the latest secured firewall, endpoint solutions, and cloud backup. I would love to have the honor and privilege of helping protect the lives and property of Iron Sharpens Iron radio listeners and their associates. For more details on how the SecureCom Group may be of service to you with the very latest in security innovations, call 718-353-3355. That's 718-353-3355. Or visit securecomgroup.com. That's securecomgroup.com. This is Brian McLaughlin of the SecureCom Group, joining Chris Arnzen's family of advertisers to keep Iron Sharpens Iron Radio on the air. Puritan Reformed is a Bible-believing, kingdom-building, devil-fighting church. We are devoted to upholding the apostolic doctrine and practice preserved in Scripture alone. Puritan Reformed teaches men to rule and lead as image-bearing prophets, priests, and kings. We teach families to worship together as families. Puritan is committed to teaching the whole counsel of God so that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. We sing the Psalms, teach the law, proclaim the gospel, make disciples, maintain discipline, and exalt Christ. This is Pastor David Reese of Puritan Reformed in Phoenix, Arizona. Join us in the glorious cause of advancing Christ's crown and covenant over the kings of the earth. Puritan Reformed Church. Believe. Build. Fight. PuritanPHX.com Hello, I'm Phil Johnson, Executive Director of Grace to You with John MacArthur. I've been a frequent guest on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio, and I highly recommend this show. But today I want to tell you about one of its advertisers, Rare Document Traders. Far and away, my favorite source for quality Charles Spurgeon memorabilia. Are you looking for that special, unique gift for your pastor or missionary friend or a loved one? Why not purchase a piece of church history that any believer would cherish? Rare Document Traders is your one-step source for Spurgeon's handwritten manuscripts and letters, as well as other rare books and collectible items from church history. In 15 years that they've been in business, they've earned a stellar reputation in the Reformed community with thousands of satisfied customers all around the world, including me. Visit raredoctraders.com today. That's raredoctraders.com. Don't forget to mention you heard about them on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. That's raredoctraders.com.
It's such a blessing to hear from Iron Sharpens Iron radio listeners from all over the world. Here's Joe Riley, a listener in Ireland, who wants you to know about a guest on the show he really loves hearing interviewed, Dr. Joe Moorcraft. I'm Joe Riley, a faithful Iron Sharpens Iron radio listener here in Atoy in County Kildare, Ireland, going back to 2005. One of my very favorite guests on Iron Sharpens Iron is Dr. Joe Moorcraft. If you've been blessed by Iron Sharpens Iron Radio, Dr. Moorcraft and Heritage Presbyterian Church of Cumming, Georgia, are largely to thank since they are one of the program's largest financial supporters. Heritage Presbyterian Church of Cumming is in Forsyth County, a part of the Atlanta metropolitan area. Heritage is a thoroughly biblical church, unwaveringly committed to Westminster standards, and Dr. Joe Moorcraft is the author of an eight-volume commentary on the larger catechism. Heritage is a member of the Hanover Presbytery, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, and tracing its roots and heritage back to the great Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. Heritage maintains and follows the biblical truth and principles proclaimed by the reformers, scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and God's glory alone. Their primary goal is the worship of the triune God that continues in eternity. For more details on Heritage Presbyterian Church of Cumming, Georgia, visit heritagepresbyterianchurch.com that's heritagepresbyterianchurch.com or call 678-954-7831 that's 678-954-7831 if you visit tell them Joe Riley an Iron Sharpens Iron radio listener Matai in County Kildare, Ireland sent you Sharpens Iron Radio first launched in 2005. The publishers of the New American Standard Bible were among my very first sponsors. It gives me joy knowing that many scholars and pastors in the Iron Sharpens Iron Radio audience have been sticking with or switching to the NASB. I'm Dr. Joseph Piper, President and Professor of Systematic and Homiletical Theology at Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Taylor, South Carolina. And the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Chuck White at the First Trinity Lutheran Church in Tonawanda, New York, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Anthony Mathenia of Christ Church in Radford, Virginia, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Jesse Miller of Damascus Road Christian Church in Gardnerville, Nevada, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Bruce Bennett of Word of Truth Church in Farmingville, Long Island, New York, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Rodney Brown of Metro Bible Church in South Lake, Texas, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Jim Harrison of Red Mills Baptist Church in Mayapack Falls, New York, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. Here's a great way for your church to help keep Iron Sharpens Iron Radio on the air. Pastors, are your pew Bibles tattered and falling apart? Consider restocking your pews with the NASB. And tell the publishers you heard about them from Chris Arnzen on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. Go to nasbible.com. That's nasbible.com to place your order.
This is Pastor Bill Sasso, Grace Church at Franklin, here in the beautiful state of Tennessee. Our congregation is one of a growing number of churches who love and support Iron Sharpens Iron Radio financially. Grace Church at Franklin is an independent, autonomous body of believers which strives to clearly declare the whole counsel of God as revealed in Scripture through the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the end for which we strive is the glory of God. If you live near Franklin, Tennessee, and Franklin is just south of Nashville, maybe 10 minutes, or you are visiting this area, or you have friends and loved ones nearby, we hope you will join us some Lord's Day in worshiping our God and Savior. Please feel free to contact me if you have more questions about Grace Church at Franklin. Our website is gracechurchatfranklin.org. That's gracechurchatfranklin.org. This is Pastor Bill Sasser wishing you all the richest blessings of our sovereign Lord, God, Savior, and King Jesus Christ today and always. Hello, my name is Anthony Uvinio, and I'm one of the pastors at Hope Reform Baptist Church in Quorum, New York, and also the host of the ReformRookie.com website. I want you to know that if you enjoy listening to the Iron Sharpens Iron radio show like I do, you can now find it on the Apple's iTunes app by typing Iron Sharpens Iron Radio in the search bar. You no longer have to worry about missing a show or a special guest because you're in your car or still at work. Just subscribe on the iTunes app and listen to the Iron Sharpens Iron radio show at any time, day or night. Please be sure to also give it a good review and pass it along to anyone who would benefit from the teaching and the many solidly reformed guests that Chris Arnson has on the show. Truth is so hard to come by these days, so don't waste your time with fluff or fake news. Subscribe to the Iron Sharpens Iron Radio podcast right now. And while you're at it, you can also sign up for the ReformRookie.com podcast and visit our website and the YouTube page. We are dedicated to teaching Christian theology from a Reformed Baptist perspective to beginners in the faith as well as seasoned believers. From Keech's Catechism and the Doctrines of Grace to the Olivet Discourse and the Book of Leviticus, the Reform Rookie Podcast and YouTube channel is sure to have something to offer everyone seeking biblical truth. And finally, if you're looking to worship in a Reformed church that holds to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, please join us at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Corum, New York. Again, I'm Pastor Anthony Avenio, and thanks for listening. Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, Give yourself unto reading. The man who never reads will never be read. He who never quotes will never be quoted. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Solid Ground Christian Books is a publisher and book distributor who takes these words of the Prince of Preachers to heart. The mission of Solid Ground Christian Books is to bring back treasures of the past to minister to Christians in the present and future, and to publish new titles that address burning issues in the church and the world. Since its beginning in 2001, Solid Ground has been committed to publish God-centered, Christ-exalting books for all ages. We invite you to go treasure hunting at solid-ground-books.com. That's solid-ground-books.com and see what priceless literary gems from the past or present you can unearth from Solid Ground. 
Solid Ground Christian Books is honored to be a weekly sponsor of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. Please don't forget, folks, solid-ground-books.com is experiencing a huge crisis in book sales. If you really love this show and you really love the best in Christian literature from the 16th century Protestant Reformation all the way through our modern day, please Go to solid-ground-books.com and make as large a purchase of books as you possibly can. That will not only help our one of our major sponsors, solid-ground-books.com, continue supporting this program financially, but it will also bless you and anyone that you love for whom you are purchasing books, and that includes yourself. Uh, because, as I said, you will get nothing but the finest in Christian literature uh, that has ever been unearthed from obscurity. There are books that uh, solid-ground-books.com has brought back into print that they have discovered, which uh, were hidden by the rubble of time for centuries, some of them, and they have brought them back into print and astounded and blessed and edified and challenged many in the body of Christ. And also, they bring back, or should I say, bring into print for the very first time uh, the works of modern authors like Dr. James R. White of Alpha and Omega Ministries. So please, come to the rescue, if you can, of one of our most important advertisers, solid-ground-books.com, and make as large a purchase of books today as you possibly can. That's solid-ground-books.com. Mention Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. That's very important. Before I return uh, to or should I say, introduce to you uh, my second guest, uh, who is a first-time guest, Michael Schultz, who will be addressing uh, Calvinism and the love of God in the last hour. Before I do that, I just have some important announcements to make. Folks, if you really love this show and you do not want it to disappear from the airwaves, please go to ironsharpensironradio.com, click support, then click, click to donate now. You could donate instantly with a debit or credit card in that fashion. If you prefer a snail mail, there will also be a physical address that appears on your screen where you can mail your checks made payable to Iron Sharpens Iron Radio uh, when you click support at ironsharpensironradio.com. If you want to advertise with us, uh, whatever it is, as long as it's, uh, it's compatible with what I believe, send me an email to chrisarnson at gmail.com and put advertising in the subject line. We need your advertising dollars just as much as your donations. Please remember, I never want anybody listening to give your own church less money than you normally give your own church where you're a member in order to bless us with a financial gift. Never do that. And also, if you're really struggling to survive, wait until you're back on your feet and more stable financially before you send us a financial gift. The Bible is clear that we're primarily to use the money with which God has blessed us to provide for our church and family. And providing for my radio show is obviously not a command of God. But if you love the show, you don't want it to disappear, you want to uh, elongate its life, uh, and you have the money above and beyond your ability to provide for church and family, you have extra money for benevolent, recreational, or trivial purposes, please share some of that extra money with us so that we can continue to exist. Go to ironsharpensironradio.com and then click support and then click click to donate now and uh last but not least if you are not a member of a christ-honoring biblically faithful theologically sound doctrinally solid church like sovereign grace family church in jacksonville florida 
or uh, the, the other church that is pastored by my second guest, Antioch Baptist Church of Lewisburg, Kentucky. I have extensive lists spanning the globe of biblically faithful churches, and I've helped many people all over the world find churches sometimes very close to them. If you are in that uh, in that position of not having a biblically faithful church on, send me an email to chrisarnson at gmail.com. That's also the email address where you can send in a question to Michael Schultz about Calvinism and the love of God. That's chrisarnson at gmail.com. Give us your first name at least, city and state and country of residence. And it's my honor and privilege to welcome you for the very first time to Iron Trippin' Zion Radio, Pastor Michael Schultz. Yeah, it's an honor to be here, Chris. Thank you so much for having me on. Tell our listeners about uh, the fine church where you are pastoring. Uh, Antioch Baptist Church in Lewisburg, Kentucky is a very small uh, community sort of country church. Uh, We average about 60 people every Sunday, which is great. I'm very comfortable with that. I I know everybody in my church, and uh, we're able to really notice when somebody's not here. I get to spend a lot of time visiting with my members, so I'm I'm very thankful to be at a small church. And uh, we're just a a rural country church that does the very best we can with with what we've got. And I've got some great deacons and, and good members around me that God has blessed me with. So I'm I'm very thankful to be out here. Uh, if people are looking for us, Lewisburg is a little bitty town uh, in western Kentucky, just west of Bowling Green. Great. And if anybody wants to look up that website, find out more about Antioch Baptist Church in Lewisburg, Kentucky, go to ABC Lewisburg, and that's spelled L-E-W-I-S-B-U-R-G-K-Y dot WordPress dot com. ABC Lewisburg, K-Y dot wordpress.com well uh, we have a tradition here as you know Michael uh, when we have a first time guest we have that guest give a summary of their salvation testimony and I'd love to hear your story oh man wonderful so um, I was I was not raised in a Christian household we were what you might call Christian adjacent Uh, we occasionally attended church holidays and things of that sort but um, no sort of religious commitment whatsoever Um. And actually, when when I was a preteen, the church that we attended on occasion removed my family because uh, they didn't approve of interracial dating. Wow. And my sister, as a as a white person, my sister was dating a young man that was mixed. And so they asked us to leave. Wow. And so what yeah, that, what, that's, what what decade was this? <laughs> that was in 2006, brother. Wow. What, where on yeah. earth was that? You don't have to say the name of the church, but what region of the United States? This was in East Tennessee, just down out of the foothills of Appalachia. I mean, we were it was a town. It wasn't some, you know, little country church. This was a major church in, in a town. Unbelievable. And uh, yeah, I it, mean, was, would, it was incredible. Would, would they dis- would they disapprove of a swarthy Sicilian dating and marrying a Swede? I'm positive it was uh, more of what do you look like, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, I, it was I'm it was very much astonished. just a product of the culture. Sure. Wow, that's scary. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, we had a good pastor at the time, but the deacons really ran the church. It was one of those sort of things. And uh, to my understanding, to this day, the pastor never even knew that it happened. Wow. So, a uh, real unfortunate and a scary thing as a pastor to even think that could be possible. Yeah. But um, I became, you know, I was very young at that point. I was 10 or 11 years old. 
And that really put a sour taste in my mouth for religion altogether, uh, Christianity in particular, church attendance, certainly. And so I became very recalcitrant and, and just distasted with Christianity. And I had a friend who was about twice my age. He was in his early 20s, and he attended a meeting out of church just out of town with this screaming preacher. And he came back and, and he said, Michael, you've got to come hear this guy. It's hilarious. It is absolutely hilarious. He stands up and he screams for an hour. And then everybody <laughs> just goes down to the altar and they, they just cry and weep. And, and people all through the sermon time, they're just shouting and hee-hawing and all this. He said, you've got to come see it. And so we went out and we sat in the peanut gallery, you know, and, you know, we amen and all this and made fun of the whole thing. And um, we went once or twice just making fun of it. And then he was pretty well done going. And I said, you know, I just don't I don't know why I, I kind of want to keep going. Wow. And so uh, I got one of the deacons at that church to give me a ride. And I kept going for about a year. And I, I honestly this is a very weird thing that I haven't heard a lot of people say, although I think it's probably true for many people. I do not remember the exact day that I became a Christian. But I know when I went to that meeting the first time. I absolutely despised Christianity, and at some point in that year, God completely changed me and saved me. And by the end of that year, I was asking questions about what kind of school do I need to go to to be a preacher? You know, I, I feel like if, if this is true, I really need to be telling people. And if I'm going to say I believe it, I need to live like it. And so I was very fortunate that that church, even though it was a very humble church, the pastor had uh, no formal education and, and essentially eschewed it, very IFB kind of church. Nevertheless, those guys were, were great at compelling me to um, go out and share the faith and evangelize and read my Bible and rely on the scriptures and trust God that he could prepare me for the ministry and I, I'm very thankful that uh, that screaming preacher outside of town was there. Amen. And I do have uh, a number of very close friends who are IBF guys. It's actually amazing how much they seem to love me, even though they radically oppose <laughs> my Calvinism and some other things. But uh, people have to be very careful about broad brushing and slandering our brothers in that realm because they're not all the same. Yeah, that's that's very true. And, you know, I I value people that differ from me, um, even even if they differ from me, because if if they still hold to the fact that Scripture is our supreme authority and they interpret it differently, I can live with that. Uh, I, I just value uh, that experience. And even though they would probably cry their eyes out if they knew that I was a Calvinist and teaching at a seminary, uh, I think that God really blessed me by having them there. Oh, in fact, since you brought it up, tell us about Forge Theological Seminary. Oh, man, Forge is a is a wonderful um, seminary. I'm glad that I've gotten connected with it. Somewhat new, started in 2015, so not nearly as old as a lot of the seminaries. But um, Forge specializes in distance education so that if you're in the ministry somewhere, you don't have to uproot your ministry and try to move to get theological education. And the other emphasis that we, we really try to push is affordability. So, you know, you're, you're not going to pay $5,000 a semester or $10,000 a semester to go 
the way that we do it is we have every program from certificate programs all the way up to doctoral programs and charge on a monthly rate. So uh, the subscription model that everybody's kind of turning to, Forge was one of the first schools to take that on. So right now, if you're going for a certificate through a Master of Divinity degree, you'll pay $60 a month to get theological education. If you're going for a Doctor of Theology, you'll pay hundred no $80 a month. We just lowered it. So the way that that works is you can take as many or as few courses as you like at a time. Um, they're asynchronous, so you begin them whenever you want to, but you only have 20 weeks to complete them once you start. If you take longer than 20 weeks, you fail the course. And so if you want to take one or three or five courses at a time, that's up to you. But you have to complete them in that window. And what that does is it frees up your your financial capability to where if you're taking one course a month, it's going to cost you $60. If you take five courses a month, it's going to cost you $60. And you can complete your degree program as quickly or as slowly as you like with financial uh, flexibility at that. And with that said... The academic rigor that we offer, it's a thoroughly reformed and confessional seminary. Every person on the faculty has to affirm either the Westminster or one of the London Baptist confessions. Um, And so we we firmly believe in the doctrines of grace and confessionalism and reformed theology. And we just want to be a resource to guys who can't afford a traditional education and don't want to uproot their ministries. And if anybody wants more information, go to forge.education, forge.education. Well, one of the uh, subjects being addressed at the Open Air Theology Conference later this month in Tullahoma, Tennessee, is Calvinism and the Love of God. You are going to be speaking on that. And uh, Calvinism and Calvin himself and Calvinists themselves have been truly slandered by those outside of our camp of theology. Uh, they uh, have a totally unhistoric understanding of where Calvin and even his heirs today uh, stand on the love of God and their mind. In fact, there are non-Calvinists who have literally described our understanding of God as a monster. Mm -hmm. Uh, We could go on and on and on, uh, but really... Anybody who believes in hell, uh, an eternal punishment in hell, is really going to wind up in the same uh, dilemma of trying to defend uh, the love of God and the theodicy. And uh, there are full-blown universalists who believe everybody, including Satan and his legions of demons, are going to be in heaven. Uh, that is not only unbiblical, but it is a horrific answer to the reality of sin and uh, the the answer of God to that. Uh, so if you could explain in your own words uh, why this is such an important issue to clarify uh, to not only our fellow Calvinists, but to those surrounding us who are outside of our theological camp, as they say. Yeah, so that's a very important clarification, too, is that when I'm preaching this at the conference, this sermon that I'm going to have on Calvinism and the love of God, I'm I'm not just going to be aiming at defending Calvinist or defending Calvinism against claims from the outside 
that we are unloving or that the God that we present is a monstrous um, deity that does not love. I, I'm also going to be taking my own um, fair share of shots at those in the Calvinist community who are guilty of that. Because it is the case that there are many people, particularly in the younger generation of which I'm a part, that we we cut our teeth on guys like Mark Driscoll. And although we might have uh, Luther and Calvin and uh, J. Gresham Moshin and, and others on our shelves, we've not read them. And so there are a lot of guys that call themselves Calvinist and they are taking now pulpits coming out of seminaries. And they really do not understand how to reckon Calvinism and the love of God because they have never read the people who really formulated this Mm -hmm. whole system. So there are two errors that I'm going to try to uh, stave off at this conference. One is on the liberal side and the other is on the conservative side. The liberals tend to say something along the lines of, if God loves me, he will not ask me to change. That's generally the way that they look at it, and that's their idea of love in every circumstance. If you're uh, the parent of a gay child or a transgender person, uh, you you will see that kind of come to light. They'll say, if you really love me, you'll accept who I am. And that's the that's the idea behind it. And that's an error. Um, it's It's entirely untrue to conceive that if someone loves you, they will not ask you to change anything whatsoever. The opposite end of the spectrum, though, is also erroneous, where you have the the far wing of the conservatives who say, because God does not love sin, therefore he does not love those who are in sin. And that is that is also a problem, because if we if we really dive into this idea that God does not love sinners, then we end up really discrediting our own salvation. Because we love him because he first loved us. Uh, Ephesians 1 talks about how that in love he predestined us. So the very salvation that we have received from God was the result of him loving us, although we were yet sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. So we, we can't say God does not love sinners. And yet we also can't say God loves sinners so much he doesn't want them to change. So that's that's what I'm going to be focusing on. Uh, in this this sermon at the conference, uh, trying to help people really understand that a Calvinist does believe that God loves, but they also believe that God loves people enough to call them to change. Now, uh, I don't know if you're going to disagree with me, but I believe that although there is a sense that God universally loves uh, his creation— and all humans in it, he only has a parental and spousal love for his elect. He only uh, loves uh, his elect uh, like a groom loves a bride. In fact, I don't think that Paul's exhortation to husbands love their wives as Christ so loved the church and laid his life down for her. I don't think it would make sense if Jesus loved the reprobate in the same measure and in the same way. So if you could respond to that. Yeah, absolutely. That That's completely agreeable because historically we've identified three different ways that God loves. 
So there's the first type that we call the uh, benevolent love of God, and that's what you would call the love of creation. Uh, it's this love that God has simply of his own being. This is First John 4, God is love. Uh, he expresses this to everything. There's a second element called the beneficent love of God. It's where we get the word benefit. And this is the love that God pours out on everything. Uh, it's beneficial to the things that are loved because he gives them things out of his love. And even that, we could say God pours out on the reprobate, the unrepentant, the unregenerate, even the unelect, uh, because Christ says God makes the sun to rise and fall on the wicked and the just, and he causes the rain to fall on the good and the evil. And you're right. There is a third element of the love of God that historically has been called the love of complacency. Complacency is a word that's kind of fallen out of usage, or at least it's changed in common vernacular. Today, if you're complacent, that means you're uh, lazy uh, or inactive. But the love of complacency historically has meant more of what we would define as the love of satisfaction, uh, the love of pleasure. And so if I said um, I love my children – I don't mean that I pour love on them in the sense that I give them toys and things. That's a that's true, but that's not what I mean by that. And I certainly don't love my children in the same way that I love Mexican food. It's <laughs> it's a totally you know it's an entirely different thing. Yeah, of course um, you love the Mexican food more. No, I'm like kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Some days, no, I'm kidding. Um, no, but this this love of complacency is that that thing it brings me so much pleasure. You know, that's that's really what makes me happy. And although we know that God's impassibility dictates that we be very careful about how that we refer to this, it is nevertheless true that God does take pleasure in the people who have faith in him because the Bible says as much, it says exactly the inverse. It is impossible to please God without faith. And if so facto, the inverse is true. Those who have faith do please God. So, yes, there, there are different ways that God loves. And, and I'm glad that you have a nuanced understanding about that to be able to even say that for everyone, including the unregenerate, reprobate, apostate, that God does have a general love. But what I find is that, again, many of the guys that are taking pulpits now or who are now coming into the Reformed or Calvinist community – do not have that nuance. And so if you are to ask them, does God love sinners? They'll say, no, God hates sinners, Psalm 5-5. And all of a sudden, we have a, we have a problem because you end up with validation of what the critics have been saying, which is that Calvinists do not believe God loves lost people. And so we, we need to have a nuance about that. That, yes, sinners, and also God hates sinners. But what I'm finding is that we're very comfortable saying God hates sinners. We are not very comfortable saying God loves them. And we're willing to say that God hates them without a lot of nuance. We're not willing to say God loves them unless we spend 30 minutes talking about what that means. So that may be a reaction to uh, the fact that for the last couple of generations, people have developed a poor understanding of what it means to say God loves you. But I think we, we need to be very careful about overreacting and overcorrecting on that. Okay. Uh, we have Wilhelm 
in Jordan Village, Connecticut. And Wilhelm asks, There are Calvinists that I have encountered who disagree with one another over what John 3.16 actually means. There are some Calvinists who have told me that God so loved the world actually means that he loved his elect who would eventually believe from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, as John later describes the world in the book of Revelation. There are other Calvinists who say, no, that verse is describing every single human on the planet that has ever lived and ever will live, regardless of whether they are of the elect or of the reprobate, but they are differently loved, as was just mentioned earlier, that he only has a specific saving love for his elect and not for the non-elect. Does either of those explanations fit yours? So, yeah, my understanding of John 3.16 is rather straightforward and would probably be acceptable to most of the people who are not even in the Calvinist camp, because that verse in particular, um, I, I don't take that as referring to atonement. And many Calvinists do, and probably most Calvinists believe that that verse refers in some sense to atonement. And that's one of the reasons that they want to limit the word world to referring only to the elect. Um, I, I could go into really the, the full passage as to why I don't think that's the case. But the question directly is seems to be, is there any form of official stance that Calvinists take on John 3.16 as to who God loves in that in that passage? Would I be fairly representing that question, you think, Chris? I assume you are. It sounds like it. Okay. So <laughs> the answer is no. Uh, so Calvinists have absolutely nothing approaching a consensus on what that verse means uh, as far as who the world is. So I just give you an example. More recent uh, would be A.W. Pink. Uh, I've actually got a pamphlet of his that you can get at Chapel Library for free called Does God Love Everyone? And his conclusion is no, because he goes straight to John 3.16 and he will take you as far as he can to show you that world only means the elect. But if you read John Calvin, which I take to be the definitive source on Calvinism, uh, John Calvin, when he wrote his commentary on John, this is his statement regarding John 3.16. He says, faith in Christ brings life to all. And that Christ brought life because the Heavenly Father loves the human race. Later on, he says the importance of the term world, which he used, is that nothing will be found in the world that is worthy of the favor of God. Yet he shows himself to be reconciled to the whole world when he invites all men without exception to the faith of Christ. So John Calvin took the word world to mean every person to ever live. Men like A.W. Pink entirely disagree. I favor Calvin's interpretation. I do believe that in that passage, world means every person to ever live, that God loved them in such a way 
that if they would simply have faith in Christ, they would not perish but have everlasting life. So I, I, I don't think that there's anything even approaching a consensus on that. But I would say if you're not a Calvinist or if you're considering Calvinism, you're getting tripped up on John 3.16. Read it the way that you think it reads and then keep reading. Because I was not convinced of Calvinism because of Ephesians 2 or Romans 9. I was convinced of Calvinism because of John 1. Hmm. And many others have been convinced of Calvinism because of John 6. And John 14. Oh, yeah. John 6 is a good so, one. So, <laughs> yeah, if if you're thinking about it or you're doubting Calvinism because you're in John 3, although there's there's plenty there, you know, the spirit moves where it wants. No man can say one way or another that you could make a very clear defense of what we might call Calvinism from John 3. And John 10. Uh, John 10 is a masterpiece for the doctrines of grace. Yeah, right. The conversation of the sheep there. Yeah. So, um I don't think that you need to be tripped up or held back from endorsing something that might approach Calvinism because you think world means everybody, uh, nor do I think that you should be ashamed of yourself if you mean if you think world means elect. I think there's room in Calvinism for either interpretation, or at least I hope so, because I, I hold to the, the approach that Calvin did, while most of my friends and brothers in the faith probably hold to what A.W. Pink did. Okay, when we come back from our final break, we're going to get a question from Francis in uh, Coropolis, Pennsylvania. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, and uh, the uh, email address, if you want to join us, and you better send in your question immediately because we're rapidly running out of time, chrisarnson at gmail.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Schultz and Calvinism and the Love of God. James White of Alpha and Omega Ministries here. If you've watched my Dividing Line webcast often enough, you know I have a great love for getting Bibles and other documents vital to my ministry rebound to preserve and ensure their longevity. And besides that, they feel so good. I'm so delighted I discovered Post Tenebris Lux Bible Rebinding. No radio ad will be long enough to sing their praises sufficiently, but I'll give it a shot. Jeffrey Rice of Post Tenebris Lux is a remarkably gifted craftsman and artisan. All his work is done by hand from the cutting to the pleating of corners to the perimeter stitching. Jeffrey uses the finest and buttery soft imported leathers in a wide variety of gorgeous colors like the turquoise goat skin tanned in Italy used for my Nessie All in 28th edition with a navy blue goat skin inside liner and the electric blue goat skin from a French tannery used to rebind a Reformation study Bible I used as a gift. The silver gilding he added on the page edges has a stunning mirror finish resembling highly polished chrome. Jeffrey will customize your rebinding to your specifications and even emboss your logo into the leather, making whatever he rebinds a one-of-a-kind work of art. For more details on Post Tenebris Lux Bible Rebinding, go to ptlbiblerebinding.com. That's ptlbiblerebinding.com. at thousands of community centers, high schools, middle schools, juvenile institutions, coffee shops, and local hangouts, Long Island Youth for Christ, staff and volunteers meet with young people who need Jesus. We are rural and urban, and we are always about the message of Jesus. 
Our mission is to have a noticeable spiritual impact on Long Island, New York by engaging young people in the lifelong journey of following Christ. Long Island Youth for Christ has been a stalwart bedrock ministry since 1959. We have a world-class staff and a proven track record of bringing consistent love and encouragement to youths in need all over the country and around the world. Help honor our history by becoming a part of our future. Volunteer, donate, pray, or all of the above. For details, call Long Island Youth for Christ at 631-385-8333. That's 631-385-8333. Or visit liyfc.org. That's liyfc.org. Hi, this is John Sampson, pastor of King's Church in Peoria, Arizona, taking a moment of your day to talk about Chris Arnzen and the Iron Sharpens Iron podcast. I consider Chris a true friend and a man of high integrity. He's a skilled interviewer who's not afraid to ask the big penetrating questions while always defending the key doctrines of the Christian faith. I've always been happy to point people to this podcast knowing it's one of the very few safe places on the internet where folk won't be led astray. I believe this podcast needs to be heard far and wide. This is a day of great spiritual compromise, and yet God has raised Chris up for just such a time. And knowing this, it's up to us as members of the body of Christ to stand with such a ministry in prayer and in finances. I'm pleased to do so, and would like to ask you to prayerfully consider joining me in supporting Iron Sharpens Iron financially. Would you consider sending either a one-time gift or even becoming a regular monthly partner with this ministry? I know it would be a huge encouragement to Chris if you would. All the details can be found at ironsharpensironradio.com where you can click support. That's ironsharpensironradio.com. I'm Dr. Tony Costa, Professor of Apologetics and Islam at Toronto Baptist Seminary. I'm thrilled to introduce to you a church where I've been invited to speak and have grown to love, Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Quorum, Long Island, New York, pastored by Rich Jensen and Christopher McDowell. It's such a joy to witness and experience fellowship with people of God like the dear saints at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Quorum, who have an intensely passionate desire to continue digging deeper and deeper into the unfathomable riches of Christ in His Holy Word, and to enthusiastically proclaim Christ Jesus the King and His doctrines of sovereign grace in Suffolk County, Long Island, and beyond. I hope you also have the privilege of discovering this precious congregation and receive the blessing of being showered by their love, as I have. For more information on Hope Reform Baptist Church, go to Hope Reform. Li.net. That's hopereformedli.net. Or call 631-696-5711. That's 631-696-5711. Tell the folks at Hope Reformed Baptist Church of Quorum, Long Island, New York, that you heard about them from Tony Costa on Iron Sharpens Iron. If you love Iron Sharpens Iron Radio, one of the best ways you can help keep the show on the air is by supporting our advertisers. 
One such faithful advertiser who really believes in what Chris Arnton is doing is Daniel P. Patafuco, serious injury lawyer and Christian apologist. Dan is the president and founder of the Historical Bible Society. Their mission? To foster belief in the credibility of Scripture as the written Word of God. They go to various churches, schools, and institutions to publicly display a rare collection of biblical texts, along with a fascinating presentation by Mr. Butterfuco demonstrating the reliability of Scripture. To advance the cause of the gospel, they created a beautiful, perfect facsimile of the genealogy of Jesus Christ from the original engravings contained in a first edition 1611 King James Bible. This 17th century hand-engraved chart shows the family tree of Jesus Christ going back to Adam and Eve. This book is complete with gorgeous full-size illustrations of Noah's Ark and the Tower of Babel and an explanation of why the genealogy of Jesus is so important for his claims to the throne of the universe. Originals of this work are in museums and nobody has ever made it accessible to the public in a large book form before. You can have your own copy of this 44-page genealogy book for a donation of $35 or more. Visit historicalbiblesociety.org. That's historicalbiblesociety.org. Thanks for helping to keep Iron Sharpens Iron Radio on the air. Hi, I'm Buzz Taylor. Chris Arnzen of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio has had a long-time partnership with our friends at CVBBS, which stands for Cumberland Valley Bible Book Service. They specialize in supplying Reformed and Puritan books and Bibles at discount prices that make them affordable for everyone. CVBBS has been a family-owned book service since 1987, operating out of Carlisle, Pennsylvania. They seek to bring you the best available Christian books and Bibles at the best possible prices. Unlike other book sites, they make no effort to provide every book that is available or popular because, frankly, much of what is being printed is not worth your time. That means you can get to the good stuff faster. It also means you don't have to worry about being assaulted by the pornographic, heretical, and otherwise faith-insulting materials promoted by the secular book vendors. Browse the pages at ease, shop at your leisure, and purchase with confidence at Cumberland Valley Bible Book Service. Order online at cvbbs.com. That's cvbbs.com. Or you can order by phone at one 800 656-0231 That's 1-800-656-0231 Please let our friends at CVBBS know that you heard about them on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio When Iron Sharpens Iron Radio first launched in 2005 the publishers of the New American Standard Bible were among my very first sponsors it gives me joy knowing that many scholars and pastors in the Iron Sharpens Iron Radio audience have been sticking with or switching to the NASB. I'm Dr. Joe Moorcraft, pastor of Heritage Presbyterian Church in Cumming, Georgia, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Anthony Uvino, founder of the ReformRookie.com and co-founder of New York Apologetics, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. 
I'm Pastor Tim Bushong of Syracuse Baptist Church in Syracuse, Indiana, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Eli Ayala, founder of Revealed Apologetics and staff member with the Historical Bible Society, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Josh Miller of Grace Bible Fellowship Church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Joe Bianchi, president of Calvary Press Publishing in Greenville, South Carolina, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. I'm Pastor Jake Korn of Switzerland Community Church in Switzerland, Florida, and the NASB is my Bible of choice. Here's a great way for your church to help keep Iron Sharpens Iron Radio on the air. Pastors, are your pew Bibles tattered and falling apart? Consider restocking your pews with the NASB. And tell the publishers you heard about them from Chris Arnzen on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. Go to nasbible.com. That's nasbible.com to place your order. President of the SecureCom Group and an enthusiastic supporter of Chris Arnzen's Iron Sharpens Iron radio program. The SecureCom Group provides the highest level of security, closed circuit television, access control, and communication systems for Manhattan's top residential buildings, as well as churches, commercial properties, municipalities, and more. We custom install exactly what you need to protect yourself, including digital recording, off-site viewing, and connectivity from most smart devices. From simple code-activated systems to the latest technology using facial recognition, the SecureCom Group has it. We also provide the latest in intercom and IP telephone systems. In addition, we provide superior networking platforms. We'll create, maintain, and secure your local network. Whether it's a Wi-Fi or hardwire network, we'll implement the latest secured firewall, endpoint solutions, and cloud backup. I would love to have the honor and privilege of helping protect the lives and property of Iron Sharpens Iron radio listeners and their associates. For more details on how the SecureCom Group may be of service to you with the very latest in security innovations, call 718-353-3355. That's 718-353-3355. Or visit securecomgroup.com. That's securecomgroup.com. This is Brian McLaughlin of the SecureCom Group, joining Chris Arnzen's family of advertisers to keep Iron Sharpens Iron Radio on the air. I'm Dr. Joseph Piper, President Emeritus and Professor of Systematic and Applied Theology at Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Every Christian who's serious about the Reformed faith and the Westminster Standards should have and use the eight-volume commentary on the theology and ethics of the Westminster Larger Catechism titled Authentic Christianity by Dr. Joseph Moorcraft. It is much more than an exposition of the Larger Catechism. It is a thoroughly researched work that utilizes biblical exegesis as well as historical and systematic theology. Dr. Moorcraft is pastor of Heritage Presbyterian Church of Cumming, Georgia. 
And I urge everyone looking for a biblically faithful church in that area to visit that fine congregation. For details on the eight-volume commentary, go to westminstercommentary.com, westminstercommentary.com. For details on Heritage Presbyterian Church of Cumming, Georgia, visit heritagepresbyterianchurch.com, heritagepresbyterianchurch.com. Please tell Dr. Moorcraft and the saints at Heritage Presbyterian Church of Cumming, Georgia, that Dr. Joseph Piper of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary sent you. And don't forget, folks, Iron Sharpens Iron Radio is sponsored in part by the law firm of Buttafuoco and Associates. If you are the victim of a very serious personal injury or medical malpractice, please call Dan Buttafuoco, my dear friend since the 1990s, at one 800 now hurt one eight hundred now hurt or visit his website one eight hundred now hurt dot com one eight hundred now hurt dot com please always mention that you heard about them from Chris Arnson of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. Also if you're a man in ministry leadership you're invited to the next Iron Sharpens Iron Radio free pastors luncheon on Thursday, June the sixth, eleven AM to two PM at Church of the Living Christ in Loysville, Pennsylvania. It's absolutely free of charge, and not only will you eat for free and enjoy the fun, fellowship, rest, and relaxation of your colleagues in ministry for free, you'll also be hearing a message by my keynote speaker, Dr. Joel Beakey, who is founder and president of the Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary in Grand Rapids, Michigan, all free of charge, and every man attending will also leave with a heavy sack of free, brand-new books, personally selected by me and donated by Christian publishers all over the United States and United Kingdom. Everything is absolutely free. If you want to register, send me an email to chrisarns and at gmail.com and put Pastor's Luncheon in the subject line. We're now back uh, with Michael Schultz, and we have a question from a listener in Coropolis, Pennsylvania, who says, must we not be very careful when we approach the lost, especially people we don't even know, and make proclamations to them that Jesus loves them We have to be careful to bring up some of the nuances you have mentioned earlier, because otherwise lost men may relish in the fact that Jesus loves them so much, he could not possibly ever send them to hell. I think that's a very good point. That is, and and that's the the most common reason that people right now are fraying away from the declaration of the love of God, and and there's validity to that. Um, my, My only pushback against that, is, is something that I've already mentioned, is that if you would unabashedly say that God hates sinners, I don't think we have any right to say that and yet be hesitant to say God loves them. Uh, it, it would be malpractice to so favor one doctrine of the Bible, which is that God does hate sinners. We know that's true. And yet to neglect another doctrine of the Bible, which is that God loves them. And for example, uh, just to show that God takes this very seriously, when you read Revelation 2 and you get to the church at Ephesus, that church is commended for having faithful doctrine. They endured faithfully, although the culture around them was increasingly debased, and they seem to have even engaged the culture around them. Christ commends them for all of that. And then he says, I am about to close your church. (laughs) And the reason I'm going to do that is because you are neglecting love. And so it's an incredible thing that that Jesus says, you know, all your doctrine is right, and you're enduring faithfully, 
And you're even engaging your community and your culture for for my cause, for my name. And I would rather your church be closed if you do all of that while neglecting love. And I I just I'm convicted by that because the, the questioner is very right. When we say to someone, this lost person, Jesus loves you. They do tend to take that to mean Jesus is very pleased with me right. and he would never ask me to change who I am. That is not what we mean. Right. But at the same time, would we then say, well, I don't want to tell them that God hates them because that'll drive them away from God as well. And I don't think that that would be the approach that we generally take. We would. We're very open about God's anger with sin, and you'll even see, you know, there are guys uh, like Jeff Durbin who there's a TikTok or something floating around of him saying the apostles never went out and told people that Jesus loved them. And again, that may be true, but they also didn't go around telling everybody that God hated them. But nevertheless, both of those things are true. So – I I really I, – I think that we need to be very careful with the church at Ephesus in mind, with the tendency to overcorrect because you had the uh, Joel Olsteins of the world who just want everybody to know how much God loves them and how proud of them he is. And uh, when I talked to Dr. Foskey, just the previous guest on the show about this a few weeks ago, he mentioned uh, Rick Warren had said that to a group of businessmen, not even in a church setting. He just told a group of businessmen that that God loves them very much. And his famous and, quote was, God's not mad at you. He's mad about you. <laughs> yeah, whatever that means. Right. You know, and and we have these these slogans like that. You know, God hates the sin, but not the sinner. And we say, well, no, that's not true. Like he doesn't. And the the, the classic one is well, he doesn't send the sin to hell. He sends the sinner to hell. And but yet again, when we say God, God hates you, we're, we're not specifying there. We we really need to be careful about being very loosey goosey in proclaiming the hatred and the anger and the wrath of God while being very withdrawn in proclaiming the love and the benevolence and the grace and the favor of God. Uh, and, and I think that if, if we're going to favor one over the other, which would be an error either direction you go, it seems to me based on a fee, the church at Ephesus that Christ has told us we are absolutely not allowed to neglect love. Mm-hmm. That's not permitted. And we must never forget, we Calvinists especially, that we don't know who the elect are, and God loved the elect before the foundation of the world, even if that elect individual uh, is not yet regenerate and is still a prostitute, is still perhaps on death row in prison. We don't know who God's elect are until they repent. And uh, we got to remember uh, Romans chapter 5, 8 through 9, but God commandeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath to come. But uh, we are out of time. I would love to discuss this in a part two with you at some point, and, uh, because only one hour on the show goes by like lightning. I want to remind our listeners 
of some very important contact information. Uh, Forge Theological Seminary, where my guest is on the faculty, uh, Associate Professor of Church History, I believe. Uh, that's forge.education, forge.education. And let's not forget also about uh, the church where he pastors, Antioch Baptist Church of Lewisburg, Kentucky, abclewisburgky.wordpress.com. ABC Lewisburg, spelled L-E-W, abclewisburgky.wordpress.com. Thank you so much, Michael Schultz. You've been a joy to interview, and I look forward to your return. Uh, don't forget about the Open Air Theology website as well, openairtheology.com, openairtheology.com for the conference later this month where Michael is speaking. I want you all to always remember for the rest of your lives that Jesus Christ is a far greater Savior than you are a sinner.